Let me say this morning that we are glad that you are here. And let me say that we have got off to a good start, good singing, good prayer, good Bible reading. And it is good to be in the house of the Lord. We are always glad and we are always happy to come together, to be together, to exhort one another, to lift each other up in the singing of songs and prayer and the teaching of the gospel and our giving and our observing of the Lord's Supper. This morning, I want to speak to this topic of the impact of a God-first family. This morning, do you have a God-first family? What kind of a family do you have this morning at this very moment? Do you have a complete family that is God first? You see, this family that I'm talking about this morning will make God's will the foremost and the focal point of all that they do. That's a God first family. They place God at the center of their marriage and they place God at the center of their parenting. A God first family. A God first family is the product or the produce of planting and cultivating good seeds. Good seeds in that family. This family that I'm talking about this morning is capable and is important to so many different kinds of people. Notice when I said the impact of a God-first family. As we begin this lesson, I want you to take just a few seconds. And I want you to look to your right and to your left of your family. And I want you to look at them. Y'all go ahead. Y'all look at your family. All right. That's okay. I know some of them ain't good to look at. But look at them. Look at your family. And I want you to say to yourself, God made them. When you look down your aisle or you look to your right or to your left, you look at your children, you look at your spouse, and you say, God made them. Now I want you to take, and I want you to develop one statement in your mind. 
about and how you would describe your family. What words would you use to describe your family? Would it be that we are a sports-oriented family? Would it be that we are a social bug family? Would it be that we are a family who loves our hobbies? Would it be a family who loves our family time? Would it be a family that all we're centered on is our schooling and our jobs? Or is it a family that, well, we're all a little self-centered and we just focus on ourselves? I want you to develop that statement in your mind. And I want you to think about that as we go through this lesson. You see, a God-first family is a husband and a wife who God is the center. That's a God-first family. They read the Bible together. They study the Bible together. They pray together. They pray together. When that husband and wife lays down at night, sometimes they may pray on their pillows together. When their children are in difficult situations and having to make choices to serve God or to serve the world or the devil, they pray together. And not only to that, they hold each other accountable. They're kind to each other. They speak kindly. They're patient with each other. All in the name of God is the center. To have a God-first family. These are some things that we have to have. But remember the impact of a God-first family. Of a God-first family, it impacts our children. When God is the first in the family, the children are provided with the best opportunity to become servants of the Lord. Now, I didn't say that it's going to be, everything's going to be fine and there's not going to be departure and there's not going to be issues in that family. But what I did say is they have the opportunity to become servants of the Lord. In the book of Ephesians, in chapter 6 and verse 4, those of you who have your Bibles, and I hope you do, Paul writes to the Ephesians here, and you know the verse as well. I want to go back to chapter verse 1. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, 
for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. Ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up, watch it, in the nurture. Nurturing them in, or in the chastening, if you will but in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And then Paul goes in and, and begins to talk about masters and servants and the, how they treat each other and how they serve one another and, and, and are patient and, and doing things because they want to do it the right way. And let me tell you this morning, when it says there that honor your father and mother, that, that's talking to you, your children. It means respect them, obey them. Now, if they should lead you to error, you have to stand against it, even as a child. And there are some children who have to do that. But when he says to bring them up in the admonition and the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, the ways of God. And let me tell you something this morning, fathers. God first families are led by God first fathers. Notice I said led. God first families are led by God first uh, fathers. This family impact, it can have impact our children and, and being a God first family impacts your children. The God first family creates a culture of love and respect for God's word in the home. You see, it was even important Back in the Old Testament. When you go to the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 6. In verses 4 through 9. It was important. Even then when Moses said to the Israelites. Hear O Israel. The Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thy heart. Now watch it right here. He says, to your families, fathers, mothers, teach. And he says, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thy house and when thou walkest by the way and when thou liest down and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand and thou shalt be as frontless between thine eyes and thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. You see what that's saying? Moses says, Israelites, fathers, you need to be God-centered. And you need to lead your family in that way and that the word of God is constantly read and studied and discussing the application of the scripture with your children and with your family and doing, and doing this, it will impact our children in powerful ways. 
Not only does it have a potential to impact your own children presently, but it has the impact to uh, potentially impact the child, your children's children. You see, it's a progress thing all the way down. It will impact your children's character. It will help them to develop godly character. When we have children in, that are raised by God-first families, it will impact their priorities. It will instill in your children, when you are a God-first family, it will instill in them the need to always put God first. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, what does it tell us? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Put God first. In everything that you do, put God first. You see, it will impact how they view Christianity. It will impact how they'll understand that serving Jesus goes beyond just going to church on Sunday morning. It goes beyond than just going to church on Sunday morning and Sunday night and taking the Lord's Supper and singing and praying and coming back on Wednesday night. It goes way beyond that to be a God-first family. But it'll impact how they view Christianity. You see, we should understand that Christianity is our identity. It's not someone whom we are just on a one day of the week or a couple days of the week. It's our identity. It's who we are. It's what makes us up. It's what makes us shine in the world. It's when people look at us and we say, that is a Christian family. It will impact their faith. Being a God-first family, it will impact their faith. And let me say this. Even if they lose it. It will impact their faith. While there is no way to guarantee the faithfulness of our children, we can plant roots within them that they may return if they fall away. You know, it was always said, you go to the, the book of Proverbs. <clears throat> and in the book of Proverbs, in chapter 22, <clears throat> in verse 6, you know the scripture. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Let me tell you just a moment. Proverbs are just that. They're proverbs. Proverbs are not a guarantee. 
And when the scripture reads, train up a child when he is young, or train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart, depart from it, doesn't mean that they're not going to stray away. Doesn't mean that. Oh, it plants the roots. It was once told to me by a wise man, he says, your children may go away, but he said they still know the truth and it's inside of them because you've done your part as a parent. But see, the key to that is, is do we do the part as a parent? That's the key. That's the key. It's kind of like they told us when we was playing ball all these years that if you can get up on Saturday morning and you can look in the mirror and say that you've done all you can do and you left it all on that field, you can be okay with losing. You see, that's when we have to take and really, really dig down and be that God first family. We want our children to, there's not a parent in the sound of my voice this morning that does not want their children to go to heaven. Don't you? Yeah. We all want our children to go to heaven. That's our prized possession. We want our grandchildren to go to heaven. Now, I'm going to tell you, my children, in my own home, I made them, and I still make them come to church. It's not very hard because generally they want to go. But there have been times that they don't want to go. They fussed a little bit. They's tired. They's this. They's that. I make them go. But I will say this. While they live with me, they will live that way. But there will come a time that the responsibility of Christianity and living faithful to God will fall into their lap. I can't control that anymore. All I can do is make sure that I have a God-first family when they're in my care. I'm thankful someone made me go to church when I was young. I'm thankful they made me go. They had to, that's why they had to drag me. Kicking and screaming. But it will fall into their lap. You see, the impact of our children, the God first family to our children, it will impact when they leave and they go away to college. When they get to that point in their life, when it comes Wednesday night and they've got a big test the next day or a project due, being a God-first family, they're going to think about that. It says, my mom and dad never let me miss church because of homework. And you know what they're going to do? They're going to lay that project aside and they're going to go to Bible study. And they're not going to put themselves in positions not to live like you trained them. Oh, they're going to make mistakes. Don't get me wrong. But point number two. Not only does a God-first family impact 
our own children, it impacts the local church. <clears throat> when you go to the book of Acts, and starting in chapter 2, I want you to notice something with me. And it's something I, I sometimes I think that we... <coughs> that we over, that we over jump over sometimes we miss it God first families can be involved in evangelism in Acts chapter 2 and verse 41 you know the situation the day of Pentecost in verse 41 says, then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and at that same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. You see, these were all families. About 3,000 souls. Now I want you to, to continue to go on with me in the book of Acts. Go over to chapter 4. In verse 4, we've had the day of Pentecost. In four and four, verse 4, it says, How be it many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. This is the same men in, in uh, English speech and translated as we read about feeding in the 5,000. Didn't count all the wives and the children and other things so a number that was a lot greater than just 5,000 but notice there how, how, about, how be it many of them which heard the word believed and the number of men was about 5,000 now go on with me over in chapter 8 and verse 4 Saul is persecuting scattering the Christians putting them in prison. They then carried Stephen to his burial. He made havoc of the church, it says, entering every house and hailing them, and women committed them to prison. It says, therefore, that they were scattered abroad, what? Went everywhere preaching the word. God-first families can be involved in evangelism. The church through this whole series that we just looked at is growing. And they continue to spread the gospel. And God first families uh, can encourage the messengers of God. When you go over to Acts chapter 21 and verses 4 through 6. Notice what it says here. And finding disciples, Luke writes. And finding disciples, we tarried there seven days who said to Paul through the Spirit that he should not go up to Jerusalem. And when he had accomplished those uh, days, we departed and went our way. And they all brought us on our way with wives and children till we were out of the city. And we kneeled down on the shore and we prayed. And when we had taken our leave, one of another, we took ship and they returned home again. Do you notice that? All the way through 
God first families can spread the word, can be encouraged messengers. It says that the, the wives and the children nailed down with them at the, on the shore and prayed. You know what a great influence that was on those children? To be in the presence of Apostle Paul and to be able to see that event. You see, God-first families can encourage messengers. God-first families can practice hospitality. When you go to uh, chapter 21 there again in verses 7 through 10, when they have sailed through their voyage there from Tyre and came to Apotomaeus and saluted their brethren and abode with them one day, and the next day were at Paul's company, and Paul's company departed and came into Caesarea, and we entered into the house of Philip the evangelist, the same one back with the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8, which is one of the seven, and abode there with them. And the same man had four daughter virgins, which did prophesy. And then he goes on and says, We tarried there many days. There came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. You see, Philip's family was involved in evangelism. Now, it doesn't say anything there about public preaching. That's what some of our liberal brethren are trying to use to get women into the pulpit which is not authorized by God in any way. But God-first families can do these things. God-first families can help a church maintain qualified, godly leaders. Acts chapter 14 and verse 23 it can help the church maintain these godly that were leaders that we're so uh, in need of nowadays. In chapter 14 and verse 23, it says to us there in the book of Acts, he says that when they had ordained or appointed for them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. And we see the qualifications and the things about other elders in 1 Timothy 3 and 1 through 12 and Titus 1 and 5 through 9. You see, these churches had elders. And let's think about this a minute. Let's take it back to God-first families, the impact of a God-first family. They had elders. Why? Because these men met what? The qualifications of being an elder. And what is one of the qualifications of being an elder? Is to have children and those children being faithful. That's one of the qualifications. That's why they had elders. So the impact of a God-first family can affect the local church by training our young men to be faithful now while they're younger so that we can maintain the local church the way God intended for it to be maintained with godly leaders that are called elders and deacons that serve. But the number one thing is a God-first family. And we have to meet that. And we have to continue to meet it. I know it gets hard. I know it gets uh, sometimes difficult when you're raising your children. But you know, this morning, when I see families sitting here on benches together, all the way back, 
and worshiping together, you know what? That exhorts me. That makes me proud to be a part of McCoinsville Church of Christ. It makes me proud. It makes God proud. And we're blessed here to have children from all ages, from this little guy down here, little girl, to this little girl being toted around, and some on the way. We got some on the way. And we got some who are older. And we're blessed with a wide range of ages in this congregation. But this congregation has not continued to exist and be strong as it is because people were not God-first families. There had to be God-first families in the days before for us to be where we are now. But one day, we're going to be in the days ahead and look back and we're going to say, is it still as strong? You realize it was 11 years today that we moved into our new facility? 11 years. You know why? One of the reasons we had to move into this facility is because we had big numbers over there and we were putting out chairs and, and, and trying to accommodate people. We have a great number here this morning. I don't know what the number is. We have a lot of people who chose to be here this morning. And we have a lot of people who will choose to be here tonight because they're a God-first family. And they want to know more about God. So this morning, I've got two more points, but I'm not going to, we're just going to push this to next week. We'll just continue this two-Sunday series. But I will say this. The family was God's invention. Getting back to the scripture reading this morning. God and the family was God's invention. God married Adam and Eve together. Put them together. And you know, God doesn't create. You've heard that before. God doesn't create junk. God creates people who are to serve him. This morning, we don't have perfect families. Abraham didn't have a perfect family. Moses didn't have a perfect family. Jesus didn't have a perfect family. And neither do we. But I'm going to tell you, we've got to continue to be God-centered. If the church is going to exist, and our children are going to be faithful, they have to be led by God-first fathers. This morning... I asked you in the very beginning to make a statement that described your family. Every one of you, children, everybody. What statement described it? What is your focal point? What's most important to your family? Is your family a God-centered family? Or does something else take that place? You see, only God-centered families that are faithful to the end get to go to heaven. That's it. This morning, maybe you haven't been the family member you need to be. Whether you're a mother, father, 
brothers, sisters, children, I don't know, whatever it is. Maybe you've sinned. Maybe you, you've turned away. You haven't put God first. And you need to start doing that again. We encourage you to do that. Maybe in your life you need to become a Christian and be baptized for the remission of your sins and be added to the family of God. Maybe you need to do that. That's not the stopping point. That's the easy point. Living faithful is the rest of it. Being God-centered. Maybe you haven't been the God-centered child in your family. Maybe you haven't been the God-centered mother or father. Whatever the case may be. Please come. Together we stand and as we sing this morning. <laughs>